You're listening to the Game on Glio podcast with Shannon Traphagen. Welcome to Game on Glio, the podcast providing hope, inspiration, education, and real conversations around the difficult journeys of being diagnosed with brain cancer, including glioblastoma. I'm your host, Shannon Traphagen. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast or visit our website, The Game on Glio Podcast, for insights and guest snapshots. If you enjoy our show, please consider writing a review. Also, share us with a friend. This podcast is in partnership with Brains for the Cure. Learn more at brainsforthecure.org. Welcome, everyone. Happy belated holidays. It's hard to believe the holidays have come and gone. They seem to go by more quickly every single year. The older we get, the quicker the holidays pass us by. We try so hard to hold on to them, to grab every moment we possibly can. Manufacturers, corporations, businesses start gearing up for Thanksgiving and Christmas right after Halloween, sometimes even before. We want so much to hold on to the feeling, the joy that this season brings us. But it's also a time for remembrance, to remember and memorialize those that we've lost. And that can make the holidays hard to walk through. I know for me, this time of year is especially difficult. Mike and I were married right before Christmas. The Christmas season had always been a season of extreme joy and laughter and love and family, traditions. We embraced it. We took it in. And so to celebrate the season without him is extremely difficult. It's very hard. And like so many of you, it's not always a season we look forward to and want to embrace. It can be full of dread and hardship and heartache. However, as we head into a new year and as we celebrate the passing of this old year, we look back on everything that we've accomplished and everything that we've gone through. And for many of you, it is continuing this fight, continuing this battle with a disease that can be very hard and grueling. For many of you, it is getting through to the next day, getting through to the next year as you remember the one you've lost. What I am slowly starting to learn is that the strength that I have inside of me The amount of love that I still have for my late husband, the life that he gave me, the shared experiences, the gift of being able to know that I had true love, that it existed, that I had met my soulmate, and even though we don't get to spend forever together, he gave me the biggest Christmas gift I could possibly ever want. The amount of love that he had shown me The amount of love that was created between us will carry me through to wherever my journey goes next. And so for many of you, hold on to the gifts that were given to you. For those of you that are walking the path, know that there is always inspiration. There is always hope. There is always a corner to be turned and a light to be shown down. There is a downside to the mountain that you climb. It does get easier. So as we roll into a new year, know that there is always inspiration to be had and something 
or someone to hold on to. I was recently given a Christmas card with an amazingly beautiful poem that I'd like to read for you. Hopefully this is a little bit of inspiration and encouragement that you can hold on to as you start your new year. It's called The Oak Tree. A mighty wind blew night and day. It stole the oak tree's leaves away, then snapped its boughs and pulled its bark until the oak was tired and stark. But still the oak tree held its ground while other trees fell all around. The weary wind gave up and spoke, How can you still be standing, oak? The oak tree said, I know that you can break each branch of mine in two, carry every leaf away, shake my limbs and make me sway. But I have roots stretched in the earth, growing stronger since my birth. You'll never touch them, for you see, they are the deepest part of me. Until today, I wasn't sure of just how much I could endure. But now I've found, with thanks to you, I'm stronger than I ever knew. That is all of you. That is all of us that are walking this path and on this journey, whether it's grief and loss for whatever reason, whether it's suffering from brain cancer or the caregiver or the family member of someone who is, whether it's a doctor or nurse who's fighting this battle alongside those who are suffering, you are stronger than you ever knew. And a perfect example of that is our guest today, Greg Link. He is a seven-year survivor walking his journey with glioblastoma. He is resilient, he is a positive force of nature, and he has got a beautiful story that should give all of us hope and encouragement and show us just how strong we can all be. He joins us next after a quick word from our partner. When my mom was diagnosed with a brain tumor, I didn't know where to turn. How do I prepare myself as a caregiver? As a 22-year survivor, I've talked to hundreds of patients, mostly just listening and answering questions. I've visited dozens of websites, some good, but none I thought truly met the needs of survivors and caregivers. I found what I was looking for in Brains for the Cure. This is a resource I've been looking for. Not only did I learn a lot, but it also reassured both of us that we are not alone. With resources and news from Brains for the Cure, patients and caregivers can advocate for themselves and become decision makers in their own journeys, learn about treatment options and clinical trials, and connect with other patients, survivors, caregivers, and medical professionals through our ambassadors, online support groups, and personal stories. Find out more at www.brainsforthecure.org. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us here on the Game on Glio podcast. Our guest today, Greg Link, is the co-founder of Brand Link Communications. He's spent 20 years as a marketing guru and is a pioneer of influencer marketing, holding an impressive network and clientele of A-list celebrities. However, Greg is also a seven-year GBM survivor, having been diagnosed with glioblastoma in 2014. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Ah, oh, you're very welcome. I'm so happy to be here. 
So I know a little bit about this story, but it's really impressive and uh, took me back a little bit. So I want our listeners to actually hear, we know that you were diagnosed in 2014, but I would love for you to kind of tell us how you got diagnosed. Like, how did you stumble across the fact that, oh, I've got, I've got a tumor in my brain? Absolutely. So I remember I was, I was with a girl I was dating at the time and uh, we were driving around in the Hamptons and I just wasn't feeling normal. I just felt off. And I remember going back to my friend's house in the Hamptons in Southampton. We were swimming mm-hmm. and I have a tendency to just hold my breath and go underwater for a while. And I was in there luckily with a, a bunch of close friends of mine and I had been underwater for a while. I was holding my breath and one of my friends was like, nah, this isn't right. So apparently they saw that I was just, you know, my teeth were clenched. They pulled me out of the pool and uh, I just remember the, uh, the ambulance and the fire trucks coming. They were asking me the questions, who's the president? What day is it? Hmm. You know, those basic questions. Um, and then they took me to Southampton Hospital. Uh, keep in mind, Southampton Hospital does not have a neurological department. Oh, okay. They did a, a CAT scan and they told me that I have a brain tumor and they think it's cancer. So they knew that from the CAT scan. From the CAT scan. And, and they don't even have a neurological department. Wow. And then they called my mother. My parents came over. They happened to be in the Hamptons as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was I was in shock because I was like, brain tumor, where, where, where did that yeah. come from? I had no idea, you know? So you must have had, did you have a seizure or something when you were swimming? Is that what had happened? Apparently, um, oh, wow. that seems to be what, what had happened, yeah. Wow. Um, and, you know, they put me on my side because um, yep. I was clenching my teeth. Yep. And, you know, they were able to get me to breathe. And uh, so, yeah, that was um, that's, that's how I found out that day. Never forget it. No, it's definitely not a day you forget. It's interesting, you know, when we talk about there's so many patients – thrivers that I've talked to that have said that the seizure is what really triggered them to find out what was going on with them. And most people don't realize, and I say this as a precursor, you know, if you, if you do notice somebody having a seizure, you mentioned that they put you on your side. And the only reason I bring it up and point it out is because that is so critical when dealing with somebody who's having a seizure, regardless of what it is from or where it's coming from. Um, I have a family member who has a seizure disorder, and I had to go through that with my husband when uh, he was diagnosed. You have to make sure that they're on their side and that they're not swallowing their tongue and because you don't want them to aspirate. So it's amazing that your your friends, your family who were there had the clarity and the wherewithal to make sure that you were appropriately situated and then taken right to the hospital. 100%. If they weren't in the pool with me, I wouldn't be alive today. So now you you got diagnosed. What were the next steps? I mean, did you have brain surgery right away or did you get transferred to another hospital? What was the follow-up protocol? The initial thought was to go to Stony Brook because they had a neurological department and they said to have the surgery pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So I remember going to Stony Brook um, we took an ambulance over there, and then my mom decided that uh, it'd be a better idea for us to go back to the city. Um, it wasn't something that had to happen immediately. Mm-hmm. So we decided to go back to the city, uh, discuss with some people, 
Um, and it was interesting. Me and my brother and my mother were like, what do, where, where do we start? Yeah. I've never heard of this before. So we were like, we wish there was a cancer concierge or someone that can help guide us through this process. Yep. We had the surgery done at Mount Sinai Hospital. Okay. And I was out within two days. That's so impressive. It, it still amazes me to this day. My my late husband, Mike, was the same way. He, he had brain surgery and literally 36 hours later, yeah. he was discharged from the hospital. And it just surprises me at how quickly somebody can recover from such a, a, a huge surgery like that. So now you had the surgery and it sounds like recovery was going pretty well. When you look back on those initial first weeks and the precursor, the seizure that kind of prompted them to find what was going on. When you look back at it now, do you think there were any other symptoms that you didn't really register at the time, but now you're like, yeah, that was probably. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So there were three incidents where I felt that something was off and I probably should have gone to a doctor or hospital to get it checked out. Mm-hmm. And, and I obviously regret not doing that, but also at the same time, you know, a few hours later, I felt fine and things were normal. There was one incident where I was driving home and all of a sudden I just didn't feel right. I didn't feel balanced. Hmm. So I pulled over. I called a friend of mine, asked her if she can jump in my car because she lived nearby and take me home. And she did that. And then I got home and then I eventually fell asleep. And then the next day I was fine. Uh, the second time I was at the Kentucky Derby doing a, a big party. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I, f- I felt off. Um, it was interesting. All three times I would look at my phone and I would just see like discoloration or imbalance. So it was more of a visual thing. It wasn't an actual seizure at all. Right. I didn't have any seizures. Yeah. You know, it was just not normal. Yep. And then the third time, also keep in mind, I also might have been drinking because uh, it was after my party. And then my right. friends took me home. Right. And then the last time was I was hungover and I remember going to a spin class. And after the class, I was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, so I kind of look back and said, you know, for anyone that's that's listening, um, I would recommend if you ever have an incident, go get a look at it. It's that important. And that's why I ask these questions, because there's a trend with some early symptoms that tend to get dismissed. But that trend is really prevalent in a lot of the patients that we've spoken to. So the discoloration, the vertigo, feeling off balance, the seeing words backwards or differently or seeing them kind of jumble up, not recognizing certain letters, you know, headaches that come out of nowhere that, you know, somebody never has before. Yeah, I would say that's what I've heard mostly from people that have spoken to that have got diagnosed is the mm-hmm. headaches part. Yeah. And and the part where they just, they don't feel right, their motor skills, mm-hmm. things to that nature. So now we know you were with your family when you got the news and you mentioned, you know, really struggling to kind of figure out what do you do next? Because I mean, honestly, in 2014, so John McCain hadn't been diagnosed or or passed away from that yet. Yeah. Bo Biden, I think, had just passed away or was within that. So at that point, I mean, even today, to be quite honest, glioblastoma brain cancer is just not 
talked about that often. But back then, it was even less. So I can't imagine what was running through your head. I mean, you know, tell us what was going on in your head when you, after you had the brain surgery and kind of knew this is, this is what I have to deal with. So after I had my brain surgery, I was out within two days. You know, we had all asked my doctors as much as we could to find out, you know, and, and to be honest with you, as soon as, you know, two days after I got out of the hospital, I thought, okay, they took out the tumor and I'm going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember my mom told me, she sat me down and told me the type of cancer that I have. She said, it's probably not a good idea to Google it, which I still now pretty pretty much haven't Mm -hmm. because a lot of the information is outdated. And none of it's good. (laughs) Yeah. So I remember that day vividly, her telling me, and I remember... I was in the New York City, and I remember going down to the boat basin at uh, Riverside Park and just just thinking, fuck, I'm going to die. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just remember spending hours down there and just... Now, how old were you at that point? 44. Okay, so you were, you were actually my husband's age when he was diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Um, I I can I can picture it as as you're talking about just sitting down there and kind of that that's the thought because to be quite honest that was the thought that ran through my head when when my late husband was diagnosed and in I don't know if he if it really hit him or not because he was going through so much his his head was kind of a bit jumbled up at, at that point but I remember leaning against the wall in the hospital going crap like I I don't even know what this means for us right. So where was your tumor located? My tumor, luckily, was located at the top of my brain. Oh, okay. So they were easily, it was the size of a lima bean, um, and they were easily able to go in. I still have a, a, a scar mm-hmm. um, on, my, on top of my head, and they were easily able to go in and get it out. So luckily, they were able to get it all out. So it was really near the crown? Is that Kind of, wow, that is a very different location. Okay. Yeah, and they usually tell you if there is a recurrence, which there hasn't been, and I don't expect there to be, mm-hmm. it usually comes back to the same location. Right. Right. So, wow. So, since 2014, so you're saying they went in and they were able to get 100% of it out? Yes. And since 2014, you have not had any recurrences? No. Wow. So, I'm, I'm curious, did you have to do standard call of treatment, uh, chemo, radiation? We spoke to a bunch of different people, and then we were advised that it's probably the best to do standard chemo and radiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, six weeks of radiation and chemo, which is a pill called Temidar. Mm-hmm. It's not an IV. Mm-hmm. I wind up taking Temidar for two, over two years Okay, because... I believe like a few months after they had the surgery, they dissect your tumor and study it. Mm-hmm. And they learn that my tumor reacts positively to Temidar, Interesting. Uh, the chemo pill. Mm-hmm. And they also learn that I have a BRAF mutation. Just to give our listeners a quick indication. So it's actually a gene that provides instructions for making a protein. And it helps transmit chemical signals from outside the cell directly to a cell's nucleus. So it provides a signaling pathway. And apparently, 
you've got that gene, which makes, I can see now why doctors would be happy to know that that existed because it just means that the targeted therapy and any immunotherapy would respond extremely well. So that's something for other listeners that can be looked into and you can talk to your doctors about. And that showed up in, in their biopsy afterward. Correct. So I did six weeks of radiation. I did it up at Columbia Presbyterian. Okay. And what we did was we pretty much went through all the different hospitals to find out which one had the right fit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Columbia Presbyterian is one of the best hospitals and universities in the, in the country. Mm -hmm. So we decided to, to go up there. So I did six weeks. I believe it was like five days during the week off on the weekends. And I literally, they created a helmet for me to strap me down so they can target where the tumor was. Yep. And, you know, they were looking to obviously kill uh, the remaining cancer cells or whatever they could by doing that. And it would li I would literally go in there for like 20 minutes a day. That was it. I would actually go under for radiation, maybe five minutes. Yep. Yeah. Radiation is, uh, it's a lot, the process is a lot quicker than people realize. Yeah. Did you do any alternative therapies after your treatment was over or clinical trials that you think may have helped you along the way? I did one clinical trial and they mentioned that there was a possibility of having like a, a little bit of fogginess in your eyesight, which did happen. Okay. Um, but literally a couple, you know, right after I started it, I believe is when I got the results of my biopsy and they said that uh, this clinical trial wasn't necessary. Really? Now, did you ever use Avastin during your course of treatment? No, I never had to. Um, you know, to be honest with you, um, I've been blessed and lucky to pretty much lead a, a, a normal life. Mm -hmm. um, I've never had a side effect. Um, the only time I had a side effect kind of was I forgot to take my anti-nausea pill uh, the night before I took my uh, Temidar oh. and I, I got sick that <laughs> next morning. But yeah. other than that, I've been able to lead a, a totally normal life. It's, it is really impressive. And um, for the number and the amount of people that are diagnosed with us each year, there are a lot of things that kind of have to fall into place in order to get people past that 15, 16 month mark. Um, seven years with no recurrences is extremely impressive. Um, what goes through your head when you think about where you are right now where this all began and because I'm sure you've heard stories from other patients, you've met other patients that have not beaten the odds. You know, pretty much what goes my head is how lucky and blessed I am to be alive. Mm -hmm. I live by the motto, live life to your, to its fullest and just appreciate every day. Um, unfortunately during the pandemic, it's been a struggle for, for not just me, but for many people mm -hmm. um, because you're not able to do things that you would normally love to do, like travel around the world and other activities and being more limited. But um, yeah, I would say uh, a lot of luck. Every time I, I have my, I get an MRI every three months now. Wow. Uh, originally it was every two months. So seven years later, you're still having an MRI every three months. Yeah, every three months, just because obviously it's a, it's a very... Uh, aggressive form of cancer. They don't have a cure. 
right? If there ever is a recurrence, they want to be able to, to act immediately. So now when was your most recent MRI? November 18th, the same day I had a big birthday party. Wow, right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. But to be honest with you, now I go to, since the pandemic, I go to my doctor out here, Dr. Piro at the Cedar sinai mm-hmm. as opposed to Columbia Presbyterian, because I don't want, that, especially during the pandemic, I didn't want to fly back to New York every every three months or two months, you know? So that's what you were doing before. You were flying back and forth to New York for your MRIs. I was. I would also spend a lot of time in New York too, but yeah, you know, I had a routine where me and my mother would take subway from 83rd and Broadway up to the Columbia Presbyterian and, you know, she'd give me a big hug and then I'd go and get the MRI. And That's a good tradition to have. <laughs> 100%. And then, you know, I live in LA most of the time and I found my doctor here and Columbia Presbyterian was also redoing a lot of their MRI facilities and all that stuff. And Dr. Piro here has an amazing facility. So they literally sent him uh, what they need done for the scan. Um, and my doctor is still able to, to look at the following month's scan and, and see if there's any changes. If not, he tells me, you know, right there that the MRI is great. Wow. <laughs> the only negative thing they come to sometimes tell me is that I have sinusitis where, yep. like, you know, congestion. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I really, I have some dark thoughts leading up to the MRI, but I pretty much go in and, you know, I, I chant the Buddhist chant, Nam Yenge Renge Q and listen to Coldplay on the headphones. And nice. I'm not scared anymore. I'm not scared if something does happen to me because mm-hmm. I've, I've already gotten seven and a half years now. And, I, and you know, I feel very confident. I, I, I haven't had any other uh, symptoms. I haven't had anything that's felt abnormal. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I do, I'm going to look at it immediately. Right. It's pretty amazing to hear about your routine and your attitude the dark thoughts is something that I can relate to and that uh, my late husband could relate to pretty well because it's a bit nerve wracking when you go into it. I love the Buddhist chant. I have to ask, where did you find that? Where did you get that? It's a good question. Um, it's pretty common Buddhist chant. I, I don't even know if I even pronounce it correctly, but it's just something that's always been soothing for me. You know, obviously when you're in an MRI, you're, you're really in a tight, close space there. And you're there for a while. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in there for a while. They said to me, the last MRI, they're like, oh, it's 15 minutes. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm in there for 45 minutes. Yeah, that's actually impressive because uh, usually my husband was in there for 45 minutes. I mean, I I would be in the waiting room for close to an hour um, waiting for him to come out. So I know that they can go a pretty long time. Yeah, it's not 15 minutes. I felt like it was at least a half hour. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. So I'm curious, did the doctors say anything to you about like genetics or environmental factors or lifestyle or anything that may have contributed to your glioblastoma? Dr. Andrew Lassman, who's my doctor at Columbia Presbyterian, he's uh, very conservative, Mm -hmm. Um, obviously tells me every time that my MRI is amazing. I ask him every year because I know the the doctors have a big conference at the end of the year, whether there's any cures or anything on the horizon. And, you know, he would offer me a Novacure, the helmet. Yep. And that's pretty much it, to be honest with you. 
in terms of clinical trials or anything. He's like, you know what, Greg, it's been seven and a half years. You're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Why mess with a good thing if it's going well? And, and what I would say, what I would say that to people out there that are being affected by this or have someone being affected by it is stress is a killer. So I live my life stress-free. Mm-hmm. Stress breaks down your immune system too. So I do things that I'm excited and passionate about. I try and keep a very active lifestyle because oxygen kills cancer cells. Um, and it's good to keep your immune system strong. What kind of activities and exercises do you like? I would just take hit classes, spin classes, boxing classes. Now I play tennis once about five days a week. Um, but it's just important to keep active. And, and I always tell people mm-hmm. that, you know, and, I, and now I'm at the point where, you know, I want people to come to me uh, when they've been diagnosed or heard someone that's been diagnosed because I can be a great resource for them. Absolutely. Another thing that I've been told is that they're doing clinical trials now is uh, a ketogenic diet. So while I'm not 100% keto, I'm, I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, I try and stay awake from sugars because sugars feed cancer cells. Yep. And eat clean and healthy. I stay away from sodas. I drink alcohol moderately. Mm-hmm. Uh, I consume cannabis moderately, but mostly through edible form. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. There's there's a lot of back and forth about uh, the keto diet, sugars playing into, especially when it comes to glioblastoma. Um, you know how well somebody does versus how they don't do. Um, nutrition really has been a hot topic among um, this community regard in regards to whether somebody makes it past the 15 month mark and then what they've been doing or what they were doing to get there. And, uh, nutrition is always at the top of that list. The ketogenic diet is interesting. It does work extremely well. My husband and I, before he was ever diagnosed, he did it. He had been diagnosed with high blood pressure at one point, uh, years ago. And so I got us into as much of a ketogenic diet as I could and at his next blood pressure check, his blood pressure was completely within normal limits for the first time since he was like 28, 29 years old. So I knew it was something that that works. Um, it's very hard for me to stick to 100% of a ketogenic diet because it really limits certain things that you intake. And I'm a very petite individual to begin with. But I do actually steer clear of red meat. I try to steer clear of you know white flour. Uh, white breads, that kind of thing. Yep. But it's interesting that you that you mentioned that. And they're doing clinical trials on it. So if that's the case, then there's definitely some good scientific studies and research coming back from it. That's something for anybody who's listening. I will pull up some of that research and we will make sure that we get some of that information about those clinical trials where diet and nutrition is playing into it, where they're studying it. I'll make sure I have those up on our site for all of you. I'm curious. So you told us that you were with your girlfriend this is the girlfriend that you are still with today, correct? No, it's not the same girl. Not the same girl. So yeah. you met your now girlfriend. My now fiance. Your fiance. Yes. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. You met her after you were diagnosed. Tell us a little bit about that. And uh, I, you know, I, I tip my hat to her because to, to be handed a diagnosis like that and still walk into this relationship with open eyes, which I've seen a few people do, 
it says a lot about that person and, and the love between those two individuals. So it's a story I'd love to hear. 100%. So my fiance, I've known her for about 14 years now, 15 years. Um, but like, you know, she's younger than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've, I've always thrown high profile events. So she used to go to a lot of my events throughout the years. Um, she got out of a three-year relationship. I got out of a three-year relationship. And, you know, we we went to Tulum as friends and came back as lovers. And I was always very upfront with people that I had relationships with about my situation. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, she's she's my she's my angel. Wow. She's she, you know, she's very aware of everything. We're thinking of having kids next year. Oh. In some ways, I feel like she's more nonchalant about it than anything. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're going to be great. You know what I mean? I'm like, babe, I got my MRI today. It's going to be fine. And that's how <laughs> I feel too, you know? Yep. You know, obviously in terms of us having kids, she knows there's a possibility I might not be around to, to raise my kids mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Hey, you know what though? You never know. It's you're seven years in already, so hundred percent. You know who knows what the future brings. Absolutely. If the, if you go past five years, then there's the, the percentage of of something happening to you is very is much slimmer. Right. It goes down quite a bit. And, and to be honest with you, uh, the the brains for the cure has a uh, Zoom call with the community of people that have glioblastoma, and mm-hmm. there's people that have been on it had it for 16 years, 15 years, 12 mm-hmm. years, 25 years. So that we're out there. Yes, there are people like that out there. And I think most importantly, you know, you got to think positive. Miracles do happen and I am a miracle. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You are. You know, unfortunately, all of my friends that have been diagnosed have passed, mm-hmm. but luckily, a number of them, Maria Menounos, her mother, mm-hmm. was able to survive an additional four years. Right. My friend Matt Mogul, he got an additional three years, maybe four. Mm-hmm. Uh, another gentleman had four years. So they were able to spend time with their families, extra time with their, see their kids raise. And, mm-hmm. you know, also, you know, people always remind me, they're like, Greg, you can get hit by a car walking across the street. So mm-hmm. nothing's definite in life. This is very true. It's very, very true. And and that's the, the standard is is one to three years. Um, and if you get past that, yeah, you're extremely blessed. But in this life, in this day and age, um, I mean, you know, we take a look at the pandemic and as, as heavy handed as a diagnosis of glioblastoma is, you see people dying from the pandemic, dying from COVID, uh, you know, that comes out of nowhere you know, and it hits quickly. So anything, anything can happen in this life. And it's, it's a crazy, crazy time and a crazy world that we live in and you just have to make the most of it. So it's refreshing to hear the positivity and the hope that your story brings to so many out there who are walking this path because they need to know that there is no definitive answers except that this is what we're dealing with. But who knows where it will carry them? And, you know, you look at people like yourself and a few others that I have met that that are well past the five-year mark and doing extremely well. So there, there's a lot of hope for everybody out there. Yeah, a friend of mine who I recently met, 
it was very random. I had called him up and he's like, I'm so sorry we didn't connect earlier. I'm in Boston. I just found out my mother has glioblastoma. <laughs> oh. I was like, well, we obviously met for a reason. Um, his mother so far is doing okay. She had a recurrence. Okay. He's very positive. She's very positive. Mm-hmm. But I had to tell him I had when I went to, when I finally met him in person that the odds are against her having a long life mm-hmm. and to spend as much time with her as possible. That could not have been an easy conversation to communicate. Yeah. And she's doing okay. She's hanging in there. She has her ups and downs, but he's been spending as much time with her as possible. Is she in a specific age group? Um, she's probably 50s, late 50s. Okay. Um, she, he's, he's 36, but she also had two daughters that are now like eight years old. Oh, wow. So they're very young. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, they met with Dr. Bookfar. Um, they had a second surgery. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were able to get it all out. And Dr. Bukvar, um, we've mentioned him a couple times. He was the very first guest we had on, and he is an amazingly wonderful individual, extremely empathetic. And uh, I, I encourage anyone who is walking this path to reach out with his team um, because he is very good at what he does when it comes to And all he focuses on is brain cancer. That is his life's mission. So uh, he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful doctor in New York City. What I recommend to people is utilize as many of your resources as possible. Um, Talk to people, find out organizations, find Mm -hmm. out what clinical trials are, find, get second opinions, get third opinions, because no one's ever a hundred percent right. You know, there's some doctors that are more willing to do stuff out the box and some that aren't. Right. You are speaking my language. That's, I, I preach this all the time, um, exactly what you're saying. This is why I'm here. This is why the podcast exists, is to give these resources, to kind of put it on a silver platter for people so that they don't have to hunt it all down, which, you know, this is why we all do what we do. And this is why, you know, we all reach out to people and we work within the community that we do. You know, I'm curious to know, what are your hopes for the future? You know, you talked about you and your fiance having children next year. What are you looking forward to the most? So I'm looking forward to traveling again. Um, y'all. <laughs> so that's one thing that really excites me, being able to travel around. I've been in, been in many places around the world and traveling really inspires me. Mm-hmm. I kind of changed my focus in terms of my career. Now I'm focusing on investing in brands and working with them closely and networking and connecting people and doing events. So really just changing my focus and doing stuff that I enjoy and things that that I'm passionate about Um, and not having like a a big staff of employees because I don't want that stress. Right. So I know that you've been an ambassador for a number of different foundations and you've been a spokesperson on um, resources and education and and helping other individuals with glioblastoma, but are you the ambassador for any particular foundation currently? It's pretty much Brains for the Cure. Head for the Cure, Brains for the Cure, who is our partner for this season. And and I was introduced to them through Mario. Mm -hmm. Mario is a lovely gentleman. I believe his son died from glioblastoma many years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, he's been very generous. 
I haven't connected with him one-on-one recently, but I admire him and you for all the work that you're doing. You know, I also, I've always wondered, I was like, God, just imagine what it's like to be Dr. Lastman or someone who's treating glioblastoma patients, mm-hmm. how tough it must be. <laughs> that speaks volumes to the frontline workers, the nurses, the doctors, the neurosurgeons, the oncologists that are in this every single day. And it's, again, it's another reason why I do the podcast and why we tell their stories to hear their perspectives, how they work with patients, how they handle this. Um, it's not easy on any front, uh, whether it's the caregiver or the patient or the team yeah. uh, that's treating the patient, you know, people who are, who have started foundations, you know, I mean, we, we do the work that we do and, and we are in this because we understand the gravity and how hard it is to deal with brain cancer. Um, it is a different stroke of the pen compared to some other cancers. And it's very, it's a hard path to walk sometimes. Yeah, I say 10,000 people, they say get diagnosed every year. It's still an orphan disease. They don't have a cure. They don't put a lot of money behind it. So it's really about organizations and people like you and the doctors that are really doing the necessary research to, to find a cure. Mm-hmm. I've also been told if they find a cure for brain cancer, there's a good chance they'll find a cure for cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you have to look at all of the other cancers that, I mean, the statistics for breast cancer, you know, death rates have gone dramatically down. You know, the statistics for, for lung cancer, there's just 10 times better treatments out there. They are working their way. And when you look at the clinical trials and some of the new protocols and treatments and vaccines that are coming out, for brain cancer, how vast and far above and beyond where they were, you know, even five, six, seven years ago, they're doing so much in the field. And I do feel like it's just a matter of time. So anything that you want to share with anybody who's listening out there, um, contact information, or do you have an ambassador profile or a story um, on Brains for the Cure that you'd like to share with anyone? My Instagram is probably the best way to get in touch with me, DMing me. It's at getlinked, G-E-T-L-I-N-K-E-D. And for me, I'm all about wanting to be a resource for people that want to talk to someone, want some guidance, have a friend that just found out or a family member been diagnosed Mm -hmm. because uh, it's always obviously good to have somebody um, as far as a, a, a inspiration, knowing that someone can live a long life with this disease. Um, and there is hope. Absolutely. You know, I would say that. And most importantly, like I reiterate, live life to its fullest, stay stress-free, eat clean, work out. If some, if you feel something's not right, get it looked at immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Make sure you have health insurance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's key. That is important. That is very important. So I have one last question, given that, you know, we are into the throes of Christmas. Any favorite Christmas traditions that you and your fiance or you and your family have that you would love to share with listeners? Yeah, so my parents just came to L.A. for the first time in two years since the pandemic. So we were able to spend time with them and my parents finally met my fiance's parents. So that was very oh, nice. special to me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I am going to get the booster shot. I think it's important for everyone to get the booster shot, especially since our immune system has been compromised. Absolutely. With Cleo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to do that just so uh, I feel more safe. But whatever comes, I'm ready to, to fight it. I wish everybody's a happy, happy holiday, happy new year. And please reach out to me if you have any questions. I'm excited uh, to continue my journey and hopefully inspire others. Well, you've definitely inspired me. And I'm sure that anybody who's listening will feel the same. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, It was a pleasure to talk to you, to hear your story. I know I will be talking to you more in the future. And uh, for everybody who's listening, we will be right back. This is a time of year for reflection, renewal, rebirth. We look back at everything that we've done throughout the year and take stock of where we're at going into a brand new year. I know for me, this past year has been one of serious reflection, getting through that first year without Mike. And now we're heading into a brand new year, a brand new season. For many of you, the journey continues. For all of us, paths change, hills need to be climbed, decisions need to be made. But with a brand new year also comes new opportunities, hope, joy, maybe even a little bit of magic. And as we head into 2022, my hope for all of you is that you do find some magic in the midst of your trials, your journey, your diagnosis. Greg's story is a beautiful story and one that we should all hold on to as we go into the new year because his story teaches us, all of us, that nothing is certain, good or bad. For many, the journey of GBM is a very tough road. The journey of brain cancer in general is a very tough road, but nothing is certain. So many have made it five years, seven years, 17 years, and Greg's story is one of those. So hold on to that hope. Start the new year with strength and fortitude and a little bit of magic because you never know where your road will lead. You never know where you'll end up. And we're all on this journey to be taught, to learn, to grow. For whatever reason, every one of us caregiver, advocate, patient, doctor. We've all been handed this path for a reason, as hard as it may be. But we have to also look at everything that we can accomplish, everything that we can see, everything we can do in the midst of such trials. So use Greg's story as one for inspiration and strength and hope. Hold on to that as you start the new year and know that it is possible. Anything is possible. I am wishing all of you a safe and peaceful and fun New Year's and a start to the brand new year, 2022. We will see you all next month. 
Brains for the Cure is an innovative online resource to help brain tumor patients, survivors, and caregivers become advocates, educate themselves, and connect with others throughout each phase of their journey. We are proud to partner with the Game on Glio podcast. Visit brainsforthecure.org to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Game on Glio podcast. Make sure to visit our website, thegameonglioPodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show via Podbean, iTunes, Google, Apple, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd love to hear what you think. Please post a review, give us a rating, or simply share with others so that they can listen to the show in the future. That'll help us too. If you like this show, you might want to check us out on Facebook at Game on Glio or on Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast. We look forward to seeing you again next month for another exciting episode of the Game on Glio Podcast.